Happy Thanksgiving, Rafer Guzman. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Kristen Meinzer. Hi. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I do every year on our podcast at Thanksgiving. What I'm, is that? I'm going to tell you who I'm thankful for. Tell me. You, our listeners, and this podcast. I'm thankful for all of you, Rafer. That, amen. Amen, yes. Kristen. Yes to that. We are so lucky, aren't we? We have we a lot are. to be grateful for. It's very true. Well, what are you doing this Thanksgiving? I'm going to uh, Western Pennsylvania, uh, the middle of nowhere, to see my sister. Not that she lives in the middle of nowhere, but she lives in Ann Arbor. I'm in New York. And so we drive um, and we meet halfway. We just picked a spot. I think it's called Hidden Valley, the ski resort. Oh, the place where they make that salad dressing. mm -hmm, Where they make all the ranch dressing. That's right. Um, (laughs) And they ski. Uh, so we're going there, and we're going to hang out, have some turkey, some pie. Uh, our kids are going to mess around together, and that'll be it. How about you? Oh, that sounds great. I'm yeah. going to a Friendsgiving this year. Nice. And I go to Friendsgiving almost every year. So uh, this year we're heading to a friend's house that has the theme Lebanese food, and we've each been assigned different Lebanese foods to bring. So What are you bringing? I'm excited to see what that is. Oh, I have the easiest task. I have Lubna cheese and bread. Oh, bread that, and cheese. Good. Perfect. And then Dean, my boyfriend... His duty, booze. Oh, that's perfect. So we have the easiest job. It's, it reminds me of like the assignments my mom used to get at the family gatherings because everyone knew my mom didn't cook. She always had two assignments, rolls and booze. Good. Rolls and booze. <laughs> I, could do, I, could do, I could do at least one of those. Yes. <laughs> well, I know a lot of people also on Thanksgiving like to go to the movies. I frequently go to the movies on Thanksgiving. Yes, indeed. I used to before I was a movie critic. Yes. Now I don't. <laughs> And there are a lot of movies hitting the theaters this week. We're going to talk about a few of them, including Carol, Creed, The Good Dinosaur, and The Danish Girl. And we have an interview coming up with the screenwriter of The Danish Girl. We'll get to all of that in just a moment. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Date. Double feature ticket to the afternoon show. Even the lights are low. Well, let's start off with one of this week's big Oscar contenders, Carol, directed by Todd Haynes, based on the uh, semi-autobiographical novel, The Price of Salt, by Patricia Highsmith, who we all know from the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes. So in this film, we follow Carol, played by Kate Blanchett, a soon-to-be-divorced woman in the 1950s who smokes and drinks and is impeccably dressed. Yes. And she's sophisticated. She's a mother of a young daughter. And she meets one day in a department store a beguiling young woman named Therese, played by Rooney Mara. And there are some sparks, you might say. Here's a clip. So I'm sure you thought it was a man who sent you back your gloves. I did. Thought it might have been a man in the ski department. I'm sorry. No, I'm delighted. I doubt very much I would have gone to lunch with him. Oh, your perfume. Yes. It's nice. Thank you. Harge bought me a bottle years ago. Harge is your husband? Mm-hmm. Well, technically, we, we're divorcing. I'm sorry. Don't be. So some sparks fly. Some interest is there. You wouldn't say it's an overwhelming, like, oh, my gosh, I see you and I need to tear your clothes off now. It's a little bit more subtle, but it's still obvious there's something between these women. They get to know each other, and then before you know it, they're getting to know each other very, very well. Yes, indeed. Yes, they are. So, Rafer, what did you think of this? Um, 
Well, I like Todd Haynes, the director. Uh, he did um, Safe uh, and another a film similar to this, um, Far From Heaven. Um, yes, very with Julianne similar. Moore, as she played in that film, Julianne Moore played a woman who was married to a gay man, a, cl- a closeted gay man. And uh, in that movie and in this movie, he's going for this Douglas Sirk uh, style, which he loves so much. Douglas Sirk did uh, Imitation of Life. Um, this very glossy, beautiful 50s look. Um, and yet, even though this movie is very um, gauzy and dreamy and beautiful looking, it tackles these very tough issues, which is the kind of thing that Douglas Sirk did back in the 1950s as well. Um, I like all that. I like Kate Blanchett. She's amazing, and she looks amazing in this film. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think she's very good as this uh, sophisticated older woman who kind of knows what she's about. And uh, Rooney Mara, I think, is also very good as Therese, um, who is a younger woman who doesn't know what she's all about. She's much less certain of her sexuality, who she is. Um, it's a dynamic I've seen before, I think, in gay movies. I, I was thinking of High Art and Brokeback mm. Mountain, both of which yes. you have these uh, o- older or at least sort of more more certain, more confident people who are trying to get this uh, this other less confident person to kind of um, acknowledge themselves and become themselves. Um, all of that I loved. You said early on, Kristen, that you didn't think that this was a tear-your-clothes-off kind of um, relationship. My one objection to the movie is I feel that it kind of is, and I feel that there is... Oh, really? Yeah, Even I, at the very beginning when they meet in that department store? Yes, they just they lock eyes. They lock eyes in Hollywood style. It's, I mean, across <laughs> the room. You know, and I mean, Kate Blanchett just, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, who wouldn't lock eyes with Kate Blanchett? But I mean, you know, her eyes are just on fire when she sees Therese for the first time. And, and Therese has, you know, got this deer in the headlights look. Um, and I almost felt like their like the, like their relationship was built just a little too much on physical desire. Oh, interesting. And oh. not and not something more uh, emotional and sort of based in the larger world. That is my one small complaint. Otherwise, I loved the movie and I thought it was great. What about you? Well, I was going to say the reason I feel that it's not tear your clothes off, there's a lot of buildup. There is, yes. There's so much buildup and some of that buildup I felt could have been condensed a little bit. Some, mm-hmm. of the, some of the moments in the first half of the movie feel a little bit slower than they need to be. A little be. stretched out, you thought. Yeah, that's uh-huh. what I felt. And then the second half, I feel that it builds a lot more momentum. And uh, and, and I don't want to spoil anything, but especially during the end, which um, uh-huh. which I especially loved the ending. I think. Yes. But I would have liked it sped up a little bit, but that's a minor complaint of mine. I really thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. And... Oh, God, I just, oh, Kate Blanchett's details. Everything from her orange fingernails to the nonstop smoking and the whole, oh. Yes, yes, I, I, I love all that. Um, the film just looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I also like um, Sarah Paulson, who plays her um, best friend. Her best friend. And she has a past. Sometime lover. Um, a great cast. Uh, Kyle Chandler plays uh, the husband. Uh, Jake Lacey uh, plays uh, Rooney Mara's uh, boyfriend. Um, the story of uh, uh, how this woman, um, is in danger of losing custody of her daughter because of quote unquote immorality. Um, that's the part um, that is true uh, in the in the in the novel, uh, not based on Patricia Highsmith's life, but based on the life of a friend of hers. Um, so it kind of shows you what people were up against back then, um, and that has that has the ring of truth. And I think that's one of the best scenes in the film where Kate uh, Blanchett has to kind of fight for custody of her daughter and make this tough decision. I, I think that's actually the most powerful scene in the film. Anyway, I loved Carol. I thought it was a great date. I agree. I think Carol is a great date. And I think it's going to be on those Oscar ballots this year. 
So next up is the latest Disney Pixar film. It's the second Disney Pixar film this year after Inside Out, which came out earlier. Um, this is The Good Dinosaur. Uh, this is a story of Arlo the Apatosaurus, who lives in a kind of what-if world. Uh, what if that comet that killed the dinosaurs just passed by and the dinosaurs lived? So Arlo and his family uh, have become almost human in the way that they uh, live in the world. They're farmers. They uh, irrigate. They uh, sow seeds and plant corn, and they harvest, and they uh, put the corn in little stone silos. And uh, Arlo is the runt of the family. He's supposed to kill this corn-eating varmint that's been plaguing his family, uh, but it turns out to be a little cave boy, a uh, very cute little guy, and uh, he doesn't kill him. The two of them wind up getting swept down a river. Arlo is separated from his family, and soon he and the cave boy, who he nicknames Spot, have to find their way back home. Here's a clip. I got a job for you. I'm not really good at jobs. I need you to keep on the dodge and sidle up the lob lolly past them horn heads, just hooting and hollering and score off them wrestlers. We'll cut dirt and get the bulge on them. What? He just wants you to get on that rock and scream. But who's out there? They'll come right at you. You hold your ground. Don't move. Don't move? What if they have claws and big teeth? So, Kristen, for my money, um, I'll say two things about this film. One is I think it's the most technically dazzling Pixar film ever made. The, the, the scenery in this, and you can see it in the opening minutes of the film, it's just extraordinary. There are these photoreal uh, images of uh, meadows and sky and mountains. Um, the ocean in this film, I would swear to God, was just a real ocean. Uh, it's extraordinary. However, I think the story in this film is one of the worst things that Pixar has <laughs> ever done. It's, it's, it's the weakest effort I have seen out of Pixar yet. It was so slow, so lazy. It's like a boring version of Ice Age. At least yeah. in Ice Age, all the characters talk and are goofy and have adventures. In this one, we're just watching Arlo for 110 minutes be lost with a sidekick who doesn't even speak. Now that his, didn't... Si- his sidekick just grunts and stuff, and, and I felt that it was very slow. Very tediously slow. The slowness, I mean, well, it certainly wasn't uh, in the film's, a point in the film's favor, but uh, the slowness of it didn't bother me so much as just the completely baffling story that they've dreamt that they've dreamt up for Arlo what story there is no story well the idea that that you're starting out with first of all these, these dinosaurs who are like homesteaders on the American frontier you know planting they're, they're like cowboy a, dinosaurs well then later on I mean well so then, well, so then at <laughs> first I'm dinosaur already dinosaur on the prairie yeah I'm kind of thinking alright so we have we've got Pioneerus Americanus this like new dinosaur family species that we've got here so I don't really know quite what that's about and then Arlo goes on his trip and he meets all these weird characters. He meets the he meets this uh, other dinosaur who who meditates the way like like Indian meditation. He says Om. I don't get that. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how dinosaurs learned that. Then he meets this family of T Rexes, friendly T Rexes, which doesn't make any sense to me in the first place. And they're all cattle. They're all cattle herders. Like they actually they heard buffalo. Yeah. Yeah. They heard longhorn steers, and they they heard they heard them around. And then there are cattle rustlers. And I just kind of thought. How do we? Why are we in True Grit all of a sudden? Why? How do we? How did we get from the Ice Age movies to Shane? And what is Sam Elliott doing his cow punch? You know, full on Sam Elliott cowboy mode. I just it, the whole thing 
was so confusing and misbegotten to me. You know, this thing was written by five different people, including Ooh. the director, and I written think it by shows. Committee, it sounds like. Yes. I think it's it's just a mess, and I, I have heard that there were problems in the making of this film that it was written and scrapped and rewritten, and I feel like you can see it. And it's disappointing because Pixar, even though there is a little bit of that Pixar magic in here, and there are some touching and funny moments in here. Um, the whole thing just left me scratching my head, just going, I just don't understand where any of this came from. I, I thought it was, for a Pixar movie, a, a pretty bad date. The lesson here, this is why the dinosaurs went extinct. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have to agree. This was a bad date. And I can't imagine any kid being into this other than maybe a toddler who will watch anything that's animated. Kids will watch anything. They'll uh, be fine. Uh, my kids will see it, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, let's move on to the movie that might have the biggest wide-ranging crowd appeal because it's part of the Rocky franchise. Rocky, the franchise that's been around since I've been alive. So in this film, I'm not sure if all the listeners out there know all the Rocky story, but Rocky had an adversary who eventually became a friend named Apollo Creed. And in this film, it's many years after the first Rocky, Apollo Creed's uh, illegitimate son, Yes. He's now grown. He's decided, I want to be a boxer. Uh, Apollo Creed is dead at this point. He wants a mentor. He tracks down Rocky Balboa to train him. He introduces himself like this. Yeah, he's great. He's a perfect fighter. Ain't nobody ever better. So how'd you beat him? Time beat him. Time, you know, takes everybody out. It's undefeated. Anyway, I got a lot. So when up. Mickey died, he came and talked to you, right? Talked you out of quitting. Took you to L.A. Trained you. Brought you back. How do you know all this? How do you think? Were you, like a cousin? He's my father. So Rocky's like, oh, what should I do with this kid? Okay, you know what, I guess I guess I will train you. And then they go on a journey together that involves training, involves boxing, involves a little bit of taking care of each other at a certain point, and then also realizing what family is. And so it does have, you know, those attempted lessons at uh, connection and love and having a heart and so on while you're just beating the crap out of each other, of course. Right? <laughs> and, and, and did you buy that, Kristen? I sure did. Really? I did. I, You know, I will confess, it might have been the result of going in with such low expectations because Rocky Balboa, the last, last film, film, was so abysmal. Whew. It was just so absolutely horrible that I thought anything was going to be a surprise that was better than that. So I will confess to that. But it went way beyond just, you know, surpassing my low expectations. It also was enjoyable. And I have to give a lot of the credit to the director here, the director of Fruitvale Station. Yeah, Ryan uh, Coogler. Yes, who uh, I, I think really did a great job with this film, was willing to make it modern while still bringing back the nostalgia of it and letting Rocky kind of be less of a main character, letting mm -hmm. him kind of be a side character and let... Michael B. Jordan just really be Adonis Creed. And wow, those boxing scenes with him, some of them are just terrific. They are. They're amazing. Um, there, there's a, a scene that comes very early in the film where uh, it's uh, Adonis's uh, second matchup, I think. Uh, and it's done with a in a single take uh, through through more than one round. The the, the take the, there's there's no cuts even when the bell rings. You just this head spinning, constantly moving, amazing camera work, elaborate choreography that feels very real. And that scene to me is really almost worth the price of admission. Um, it comes very early in the film though, which I thought is kind of. Um, 
telling about the way this film is structured, which I would say is not very well. Oh, I think you're the, wrong about that. The story in this film, I think, is 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 just this side of non-existent. I think. Oh, come I think there's. On. I mean, you know, you as were you were just saying talking about the good dinosaur, this is like so. As you were saying, Adonis comes to Rocky and says, "I want you to train me. I want you to train me." Rocky says, "No, no. Uh, okay." And that's really it. And then he starts training him. Their opponent, uh, pretty Ricky Conlon, played by a real-life uh, uh, UK boxer, uh, Tony Ballou, uh, their, their, their British opponent, you know, he's a formidable opponent, but there's nothing interesting about him. There's nothing thematically uh, uh, resonant. There's nothing emotionally resonant about that, about that fighter. So when the big matchup comes, it's, it's great. It's intense. It's, again, extremely well-directed um, and really well-edited. But... You know, am I feeling that there's something major riding on this fight? Not not really, not the way I did in the first Rocky or even the second Rocky. So I guess all I'm saying is it's a really it's an enjoyable, very compelling film. Michael B. Jordan is great. The direction is fantastic. Uh, Tessa Thompson from Dear White People oh, plays I love her. Uh, plays His a love, love interest. interest. Yeah. yeah, she she's great. She plays a young singer named Bianca. Um there are a lot of things about this movie that make it work. As a story, I feel that it's a little wobbly. Uh, and so I felt like I docked it a, a couple points for that. But I still think it's a totally good, solid date and, and a, 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 pretty, a pretty good entry in, in the Rocky franchise, which has certainly had its ups and downs. Oh, yes. I, I totally agree. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be another movie after this. But I think they should end on this high note. If they, if they can end on this high note. One last thing I just want to ask you, Rafer. Did you get a little bit excited when you heard the Rocky theme song before the final fight? Sure, yes. of course, of course. Right. I think this is going to be a Thanksgiving hit. I really it, think it's it going to be a Thanksgiving It very well hit. could be. I think it's a great day. All right, well, stay with us because coming up, we're going to be talking about The Danish Girl and talking to the screenwriter of The Danish Girl. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And next up, we're going to be talking about The Danish Girl. That's the new film with Eddie Redmayne uh, playing Lily Elbe. She was a uh, she was born a male, became an artist, and then um, became one of the first transgender people to undergo sex reassignment surgery in the very early 1930s. And it's the story of her transformation into a woman. It's also the story of... Her wife, uh, played by Alicia Vikander, who stuck with her through much of this ordeal that she went through. What was it about him? I don't know. But we went for coffee, and after, I kissed him. And it was the strangest thing. It was like kissing myself. Kristen, you got a chance to speak to the screenwriter of The Danish Girl, which I should say is directed by Tom Hooper. Yes. Uh, who directed King's the speech. Oscar-winning King's Speech. And I do think this one has very major Oscar-winning uh, potential. Oh, absolutely. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz already. And I think a lot of that has to do with Eddie Redmayne's transformation. When people yes. see Eddie Redmayne as Lily, I think people are just wowed. Like, you're a beautiful woman. Yes. Look at, look at how you did that. But... I also thought Alicia Vikander was just terrific. She is terrific. In this. She, she's so good. And it's notable, since this is all based on a true story, 
that it was first the memoir of the real Lily. Yes. And then it was a novel adaptation yes. called The Danish Girl. And then it became the screenplay. So when I was talking with Lucinda Cox and I asked her about how familiar she was with all of the prior writings about Lily, and this is what she had to say. No, I was sent the novel with a view to adapting it. And, you know, when you're looking for material to work on uh, as a screenwriter, it's, it's, it's kind of like panning for gold. And you, you know very quickly when you see it, you know, you sift away. And uh, when a book like this comes along, it's... Uh, it's a, it's a remarkable opportunity, and I, I was very keen to be involved very quickly. And then when I started to research the underlying true story, I was just astonished by it, you know, astonished that it wasn't better known, and also that it happened. I had no idea that, that John, gender confirmation surgeries were, were being performed so early. Yeah, and the film suggests that Lily was actually the first sex reassignment patient in history. Is that actually true? I don't think we can I don't think we can know that. So I wouldn't make that claim, but she's certainly among the first. Mm-hmm. And the film suggests that two surgeries were what she underwent. Um is that correct? It that's what we've that's what we've uh, suggested in the film in the first operation that she has in the film we've actually combined two of the surgeries. There were there were certainly four, there were possibly six. Uh nobody wants to see a film with six surgeries in it. <laughs> um and you know, some of those surgeries were correcting earlier surgeries, but it was without question a really grueling and uh, difficult process and a very dangerous uh, process to go through at that time, given that there are no antibiotics and um, limited pain relief. And back in the 1920s and 30s, was transgender identity something that was talked about or known about at all? Well, I, I think the word transgender certainly wasn't around. So for somebody, for, for these people, for, for, for Lily and for, for her partner, Gerda, they, they were really inventing the road for themselves as they went along. And I think they spent a long time in a kind of wilderness where, they, where Lily was looking at having a lobotomy or was suicidal by the time she, was, she, she managed to find a doctor who would perform, perform the surgeries. Having said that, there was, uh, you know, if you think about cabaret, that's, you know, in the Weimar period in Germany, there was a period of of uh, liberalism and and kind of modernism that where certainly the, the uh, there's a sense that the dualities in terms of gender are breaking down so Gerda for example is herself um a woman who's now kind of starting to operate in a in a kind of male world who's a who's an artist who's kind of being taken seriously as a professional um and is you know the marriage is 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 kind of very uh open and outward looking in in many many ways so i think you know, the, 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 there's a kind of clampdown after that with the rise of fascism, um, and, and that's really where the story gets swept away, is that, is that the politics shifts in Europe, and, uh, and, and that's when the story's lost. And I just love Gerda. I have to confess to you, I think she was my favorite character in the movie, actually. Can you tell well, us she's a little, extraordinary. Can you tell us a little bit more about the real Gerda? Yeah, the, the real Gerda... Uh, was uh, was a portraitist, a portrait artist, and she um, was also a fashion illustrator. Um, was very kind of formative in influencing, um, you know, young women's opinions of, of what it might be like to be a modern woman through her fashion illustrations, um, and, and and something of a trailblazer in that respect. Um, she supported her husband Ina. Um, absolutely through this remarkable transition 
um, in spite of the fact that obviously it, it came in a sense at a cost to her. But I think she was... One of the great things about the film is getting to write a character who is so good. I mean, there is so much goodness in her, but that goodness is really kind of active and radical and exciting. Um, and, and that she was a gift to work with in that respect. Um, she's her art uh, again was kind of less well known for, for a while. Not uncommon for painters generally. Certainly not uncommon for women painters. Um, but I'm delighted to say that there's a big new exhibition of her work that's just opened in Copenhagen, the biggest exhibition ever. And I'm really hoping that, that, that the film will be part of raising, um, help to raise the profile in, in terms of her work. Mm. Um, now, the timing of this movie coming out right now, it, it seems very well timed. A studio couldn't ask for anything better with all of the events of the last few years um, around transgender visibility and transgender rights and so on. Was this something that was in the pipeline for years or was it planned around this particular time in history? I would love to tell you that I saw this moment and decided to capitalize on it, but I wrote the first draft of the script 11 years ago. Uh, wow. We've been trying to get it made for that length of time. And although it was always relatively easy to attach talent to the film, there were always actors who were very, very keen to be involved. And, uh, and we've had some very luminous directors attached to it it was always difficult to finance because of the subject matter and so you know I feel incredibly grateful that Tom Hooper came along when he did and committed to it and, and just had enough industry clout to be able to to get studio finance behind it and it happens that you know all these things have come together again you know we couldn't have we just couldn't have known how quickly this the conversation around transgender was going to move the last two years have been phenomenal um, and so I feel as though having spent the last 11 years trying to get this film away, it's it's really found its moment. That was Lucinda Coxon, the screenwriter of The Danish Girl, uh, which comes out today and uh, is uh, probably a, a big Oscar contender for this year. Yeah. And you think it might get Best Picture. I think it's very possible. It's going to be that, I think, or Spotlight at this point. Mm. But we haven't seen The Revenant oh. with, with, uh, and we haven't seen Joy. <laughs> Still, still much to come. Still we much have to come. so much to talk about in the next few weeks. We certainly do. But uh, before but, we go, we have to talk about trivia. So last week, Kristen, we talked about uh, the very last Hunger Games film, the finale of the Hunger Games series with Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen. Jennifer Lawrence is now, I think, a bona fide superstar. Uh, once you get a name like J-Law, I think it signifies that you've really arrived. Um, and we decided to go back through her filmography and find something a little less glamorous. And we played this clip. You made this for me. Yesterday. How come? Because there's more that belongs on a wall than Nora has a dead brother. Even if it is a big mess. It's amazing. Funny. I think it's a mess and you think it's amazing. I think you're amazing and you think you're a mess. You know what? I don't, I don't want to think anymore. God, that movie was awful. We asked you what that movie was, and not a single one of you either knew it or could be bothered to say. And the answer is none other than The Beaver. 
I think this speaks well to our listeners, though, Rafer, because <laughs> the fact that they had the good sense to not see the beaver means that they're all very smart. It's true. You can count yourself. You can count. Talk about talk about giving thanks. It's horrible. Yeah. Let, let's just not even talk about that movie ever again. Let's all never right. speak of it. We st- <laughs> we st- we st- we stumped we stumped our listeners. Um, uh, so, Kristen, I think this this week's trivia question might be a little easier. Tell us what it is. So this week, in honor of Carol, our movie where. A shop girl named Therese meets the glamorous customer Carol. We thought of another movie where the romantic leads meet in an apartment store. Here's a clip. So really I'd better scurry. Well, maybe just a half a drink more. The neighbors might think. Say, what's in this drink? Everyone knows that movie. I love that department store romance. Me too. Yes. Let's all go to department stores and fall in love. <laughs> Never gets old. <laughs> if you know the name of that department store romance movie, give us a call. 5717 movies. Or you can also message us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. I really can't stay.